little over a year ago, the tragic events of Charlottesville, Virginia unfolded right in front of us, where there was a demonstration and one young lady, uh, Heather Heyer, lost her life uh, as a result of racism. And on the next day, a prayer vigil was called in the city of Franklin, where I live. We got on the square of Franklin and we prayed and asked God for mercy and to protect our country because at that time there were so many uprisings going on around the country where people were pulling down Confederate statues and monuments. And so since Franklin is a historic Civil War town, and right in the middle of Franklin is a statue dedicated to the deceased in the Confederate Army that was put up in 1899 by the Daughters of the Confederacy, uh, we just felt it necessary, just a few dozen of us, to pray. And out of that prayer meeting, vision erupted. And one of those visions uh, came about where myself, Pastor Kevin Riggs, and Pastor Hewitt Sawyers, along with historian Eric Jacobson, began to meet. And we began to pray and ask, what can we do to be proactive so that our city would not have to become reactive if something happened, a powder keg exploded and caused a race riot to even occur in the city of Franklin. So we came up with, well, I would like to say God gave us an idea called a fuller story, where we would get a chance to position around that Confederate monument four placards or four memorial markers that speak of other historical events related primarily to the Civil War, but also some of the things that have come as a result of the Civil War, like segregation. And so um, we presented our idea of a fuller story, and that is telling parts of the story that normally don't get told about the history of not only our country, but also the city of Franklin. And we presented that idea to the Board of Mayor and Aldermen last Tuesday, and they received that idea I mean, it, it, was, it was flying colors. They received that idea where we would put these four markers up right there on the square. And so this coming Friday, we meet again with the city planner, and he will give us the date for the next meeting where they will vote on this initiative. And, uh, and then it will go into construction at the end of this year, and we will uh, dedicate and unveil these markers on Martin Luther King Day 2019. So uh, it's a big big, 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 Now you want to be in prayer because uh, the nasty grams have already started coming um, from people who don't want to see that area uh, tampered with because for many that is holy ground. But we're not there to tamper with it. We're there to tell a fuller story. And the four markers that will be around the Confederate statue will be a marker dedicated to the old courthouse that used to sit right in the middle of the square where the statue now sits. And that courthouse also had next to it a market house where people not only came to buy beans and vegetation, but they also came to buy and sell human beings. So we want to call attention to the fact that as quaint and as beautiful as Franklin is, at one time or another, they were also in the business of the slave trade. So we want to talk about that. But we also um, have dedicated a marker to the Franklin riot that occurred in 1867. Um, and, and again, I, I could go into these stories, but I, I want to preach today. Uh, but a, a man died in the city of Franklin uh, from a race riot uh, between blacks and whites. And uh, thirdly, we want to put a marker up to the United States Colored Troops because the United States Colored Troops may not have fought in the Battle of Franklin but they marched through Franklin and fought in Nashville. And many of those soldiers were either escaped slaves or freed slaves from Williamson County. So we wanna pay homage to them. And then the fourth marker would be a dedication uh, to, or rather a, a marker explaining uh, Reconstruction and the Jim Crow era and how that affected downtown Franklin as well. Uh, Hewitt Sawyers, who's 70 years old, pastors West Harpeth Primitive Baptist Church, um, after the meeting on Tuesday, it was the first time he ever walked up on the mount where the Confederate statue was. And he is a lifelong Franklin citizen. 
So he felt that was the first time he could actually go up there because he knew what kind of day is coming in a couple of months to tell another side of the story, not trying to tear that thing down, but to lift up truth. And so it was just a surreal moment. And then, then the, the biggest part of this vision is phase two, where after we put the markers up uh, in January of 2019, um, we're going to also get the city to approve putting up a statue of a United States colored soldier within the downtown city limits. And so, uh, yeah. yeah. We want our children that when they go and they're learning about their history, that they can stop by and look in the eyes of a soldier because we're not gonna put this thing up on some high pedestal. It's gonna be about eight feet high where they can look and see into this man's eyes and see his personhood. So, uh, so good things are happening and, and we've been keeping it underground for quite some time, just trying to work on it. And uh, it's come out now and uh, news stations and television, I mean, uh, great, uh, newspapers, all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about this, and as I mentioned, it's threatening some people because you're messing with stuff. But uh, that's my middle name, mess with stuff. <laughs> Y'all know me. I, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of this. And, um, and, and people in the black community already in Franklin who can look back and name who their grandparents and great-grandparents worked for as slaves in the city. They are so proud already of this inclusion that's going to happen, this representation that's going to happen. So um, it, it's all for the sake of bringing us closer together. And I'm so glad the church is on the front end of this and not on the back end of this. So amen. We'll keep you posted because I just might need to come to you, uh, the Franklin residents who attend Strong Tower, to sign a petition in case we need it, in case there's, uh, you know, people trying to stop this movement, but they can't stop this movement. Amen. So that was Tuesday. On Wednesday, my wife, her second book was released called Thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And uh, of the three books, as you know, this is my favorite story. I love all three of them. But when I read this story, I cry. Um, it's about a young Native American boy who has Down syndrome. He is a leader in his school, and he wins the Thoughtful Award, and through his example, I'm giving the whole book away, but anyway, uh, <laughs> and then yesterday, uh, the men's ministry had a powerful meeting, a kickoff yesterday that I'm so excited about. I'm so proud of the men who lead and serve in this church. They, they lead and serve with vulnerability and brokenness. And it, it creates an environment that says to all of us, there's enough grace for us. Nobody is perfect. We're all in process. Uh, we're not making excuses, uh, but we are calling men to step up and be who God's called them to be. Man, it was, it was, it was amazing. I'm excited. And then uh, last night, Doreen and I went uh, to the beautiful Omni Hotel in Nashville to celebrate with our dear brother, Brother Eric Merriweather, as he won the Finance Award in the Power Moves. Brother, congratulations. Uh, Eric stepped out on his own about four years ago um, to start, uh, to change his career path. And he started working with Northwestern Mutual. Um, he's a financial advisor. And he invests people's money, and, and he also has a burden to help people in the African-American community to understand how the world of finance works. And uh, he has seen great success over these past four years. But when he stood up to accept his award last night, he made it clear in that room of people that he gives all the honor and praise to Jesus Christ, his personal Lord and Savior. I love you, man. I'm proud of you. And I pray you become one of the biggest and richest financial advisors in the world. So you can tithe at Strong Tower. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Man, he's doing some great things in our lives. And then, you know, thinking about the King Awards that we'll do in January. I got my eyes on some people that we're going to honor. Oh, man. It's good stuff, y'all. 
Well, turn in your Bibles. Let's get a quick word. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Getting a little feedback. Are we all right? You want me to switch? Switch? All right. It's time to get an upgrade on this thing. Hey, Darina, can you hand me that wireless mic? Let's get a new one. Now, in the interest of time, um, I'm going to do my best to read my notes. My notes are just here usually as guidelines to, in case I get off track. Um, but if I read them, I'll stay on and I can complete the information. If I don't read them, I can, you know, go off into some places. So I'm going to do my best to read them. And y'all are like, yeah, right, Pastor. You're going to get excited and take off somewhere. I'm going to do my best. Let's pray. God, even before we come to the word today, we've had church. We've enjoyed you. We got to sing to you and tell you how much we love you and honor you and to receive your love for us. We got to see your children get baptized and it filled our hearts with joy. Lord, we got to hear what you're doing in this church and how you're making disciples and the opportunities you're providing. We had a chance to honor you with the first fruits of our financial increase. We had a chance to give and so many more things. We got to see brothers and sisters that we haven't seen in a week or maybe a month. Oh, God, it's already been good. And I know, Lord, that when you speak your word to your people in the midst of the worship experience, you don't need a lot of time to do it. You don't even need a preacher to do it. Your word stands by itself. Yet, Lord, you've called preachers and pastors to communicate your word to your people. So as I pray every Sunday, would you help me to preach? Would you help me to say the things that are consistent with your word. Lead us in this hour, not just to hear the word, but also, Lord, the desire to do the things we've heard. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Last week, we talked about how there is a big difference between being childlike and acting childish. If you were here last week, raise your hand and you heard that message, okay? Uh, there's a big difference between adults who will be childlike or adults who will act childish. And we looked at Matthew 18 last week because the disciples were being childish. They were arguing. They had disputes about who would be the greatest among them. So Jesus had to use a child as an object lesson. He called a child, and he asked the child to stand right in the middle of the, of the disciples. And he said to them, you're worrying about greatness? You need to become like this child. Otherwise, you won't be able to enter the kingdom of God. Because being childlike means we will, number one, trust and obey God uh, without hesitation. Uh, this child did not hesitate. This child came. And so when we are childlike and have childlike faith, we will trust God and obey God. If we don't obey God, that means we really don't trust God. The proof that we trust him is that we do what he says. If we don't do what he says, we don't have faith. You can say all you want, but obedience is proof that you have trust. And when you're childlike, you will also wait on God to promote you. We saw that last week. The disciples were so concerned about promoting themselves, thinking that it was about them. No, it was about Jesus, and Jesus would use them, but it was about him. But they got caught up in the limelight of being close to the Messiah, and they were concerned about self-promotion. Uh, but this little child that Jesus called did not ask to be promoted. The Lord promoted this child, put this child in the midst, and used the child as a teaching tool for the disciples. So in that moment, that child was great because the child trusted the Lord and that child was called up by the Lord into greatness. And we can learn from that child 
to not stress or press about trying to get our name out there, but to wait on the Lord and trust that he will elevate on the job, to trust that he will elevate in the ministry, that he is the one who will bring promotion, and we don't have to force it or strain it. But then thirdly and finally last week, we talked about how when we are childlike, we will allow God to love on us. You know, there's a passage in Mark's gospel that tells the story of Matthew 18, that when Jesus called the child out in the middle, he also picked the child up in his arms and blessed the child. So when we are childlike, we won't be afraid to have the Lord love on us in public. We won't be afraid to love on him in public. We will receive his love. We will give him love. And that's how we know we're growing in childlike faith. When we worship him, we're not concerned about the people sitting next to us and what they might say about us. We're not concerned if we carry our Bible to work and people might call us names. No, no, we have childlike faith and we love being loved on by God and we are not afraid nor ashamed to love him even in public. Now, personally, I strive to be a man who is childlike and not a man who acts childish. But every now and then, even with my gray hair, I act childish. And even after preaching this message last week, there were some moments during the week where I felt my inner child in the flesh trying to come out. But the spirit said, no, be childlike. Grow up in your faith. Grow up as a man, as a man of God. And don't act childish, but be childlike. Because I'm here to let you know the world doesn't need any more man babies. We don't need any more man babies out here. Whether in the White House, the church house, or your house, you don't need any man babies. The Apostle Paul had to deal with childish Christians in the church of Corinth. So a church that he planted had a whole lot of childish believers he called them babes in Christ in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he wrote to them saying, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So Paul is speaking to this church saying, you guys have been acting childish, but it's time for you to grow up and to become a man or a woman of God. And to become a man or a woman of God means that you are becoming a spiritually mature believer, one who must put away childish things or childish behavior. I mean, there's nothing more sad than seeing an old person trying to act young. I mean, come on, it's time to grow up and accept the fact. Uh, I, I, I can't chase that. Let me come on back, man, stay back. <laughs> to grow, we must put away childish things. To put away is just another way Paul is speaking of sanctification. Sanctification is a process where we become holy, where we look like the Lord through the empowering agent of the Holy Spirit, where he's transforming us from glory to glory to glory to look like Jesus. And none of us have arrived in this life, but hopefully we look more like Christ, sound more like Christ, act more like Christ today than we did yesterday and last week and last year. Sanctification, where we are in a process of turning from wickedness and turning to righteousness. Sanctification, where we're turning from the world and we're turning to the kingdom. That's sanctification. I'm turning from something and I'm turning to something. That's how we grow. And Paul is saying, turn from childish things and turn to spiritual maturity. It's time to grow up. Have you become a man yet? Paul said, when I became a man. So I want to say to the men, have you become a man yet? And a man does not have much to do with the plumbing that you were born with. That makes you a male, but that doesn't make you a man. That's not in the notes. See, there I go. I'm going. Help me, Lord. Because we got a lot of brothers who think because of their plumbing that they're men. But Jesus said there are eunuchs 
who, who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom. Now, that's taking one for the team. Now, that's a man right there. There are things higher and more important than sex and sexuality. And so we need to recognize that just because you can make a baby, that doesn't make you a man. Raising that child makes you a man. Raising that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord makes you a man of God or a woman of God. Uh, and so this book, he's challenging them. I, I need you in Corinth to grow up. The book of 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians, these are books of correction, not necessarily direction. We read these books to know what not to do, what, how our church shouldn't be as opposed to reading Ephesians to know what kind of church we should be. No, we read Corinthians and say, no, don't do that up in there. No, don't be like that. And this church, man, they needed correction so that they could go into the right direction. But here's the grace of God. As ill as this church was, as much as they bugged out, and I don't have time to even hit or touch on how crazy they were, as crazy as they were, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul still calls them saints of God positionally, they were still saints or sanctified by Christ. What does that mean? They were set apart. They were holy because God had declared them to be holy. That's what a saint is, a holy one. And the only reason a person is holy is not because of what they do, but because of who they know and how that person has set you apart to say, you're not part of that group that's going to hell. I set you apart from that road that's wide. I put you on the narrow road, the straight road. You're part of that group. You've been set apart. You've been sanctified. You are saints because of your position from God. And so now it's a matter of my practice reflecting my position, that I live up to what I've attained and I act like who I am in Christ. And that's a process every day. And so Paul says, I know y'all are tripping at that church, but I don't want y'all to slip into legalism and performance-based righteousness. Let's start off with the fact of who you are and your identity. Let's act like who we are. You're a saint of God. So he starts them off telling them who they are, but then he goes to the book correcting them about how they're living. Oh, and that's what we need to hear. You see, the church at Corinth could have been an adult nursery or a daycare center because of all the childish things that they did. Here are just a few, and I'll probably only be able to give you one today. Uh, the Heaven series is just going to have to start in September. <laughs> amen, amen. Here's just a few. Uh, when you are childish, Paul called it, you're acting like a natural person, natural. And, and that means worldly person, natural, nature, the world, fleshly. You're acting like people who don't know God, worldly people, people who get their philosophy, their belief system from the world and not from above where God is. We've been born again. We've been born from above. Our citizenship is in heaven. So although we live in the world, we are not of the world. We're of a different stuff because we've been changed and we are being changed by God. So if we say we know God, then our lives should match our lips. Doesn't mean we're going to, you know, be super Christians overnight, but man, we're all in process as we submit to the spirit working in us. And so Paul is saying to this church that when you are not growing as a believer, you are naturally in reverse doing a backslide or a moonwalk. If you're not intentionally pressing towards the mark, you will naturally be like Michael Jackson up in here, going this way, but looking like you're moving forward. But you keep going backwards. And Paul is saying it's time for y'all to stop being natural and start being spiritual. Oh, you don't believe me? Look at chapter 3. Look at chapter 3. Verse 1, Paul said, and I brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you still are not able. So he's saying to this church, y'all are carnal, Later on in chapter, or, or before that in chapter 2, verse 14, 
He says the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. You're acting like natural people, unbelieving people, worldly people, carnal people, fleshly people. But God has better things for you as his son and as his daughter. And he's saying to them, I want to give you more solid food because he's like a spiritual father to them. He says, man, I've been a father to you in the gospel, but I can't give you solid food. I can only give you milk. So when you act childish, that means you're a milk drinker. Okay, stay with me. That means you're a milk drinker because when babies are born, you can't put a T-bone steak in front of a two-week-old. Mm -mm. They don't have the capacity to eat meat yet. They have to grow to that place. They have to grow teeth and all of that stuff. Uh, but when they're young, they have to consume what babies consume, and that's milk. And 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about how the word of God is the milk of God. It's the sincere word that's like the milk that we need to grow spiritually. And so we all need milk, or as the Hebrews writer would say, the elementary principles of the gospel. We need to know the basics. We need to, to know that God loves us, and we need to know that Jesus died for us. These are milk subjects that are necessary for our spiritual growth. But it's a shame if after you have been walking with Jesus for, you know, quite some time, that you're still on milk or the basics when you should have graduated to solid food or to meat. Oh, man, I do not like to see grown-up babies, you know, walking around, toddlers, still wearing diapers. I, that, that just irks me. You know, a big kid still got a pacifier in his mouth. Or the kid's so big, they walk over to the mother and start unopening her shirt to breastfeed. I'm like, you're too big for that, bruh. You're too big to still be in a diet, but you still, you're too big, man. Get that boy off the bottle. And that's how it is spiritually. That's what Paul is saying. I wanted to give y'all solid food. I wanted to give you some deeper teachings in the things of God. I wanted to take you to spiritual middle school, high school, graduate school, but y'all are still in kindergarten, cutting out squares and all. Come on, it's time to grow up. And the proof that you're still on milk is how you act. Because he says here in verses 3 and 4, he says, y'all are still carnal. For where there are envy, and I'm going to end with this point, strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men or men who are in the world? He says in verse 4, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So the first thing we see about this church here, at least in chapter 3, is that when you act childish, you'll be a milk drinker. But when you act childlike, you will be a meat eater or a solid food eater. But then secondly from this verse, that when we act childish, we will be divided and man-centered. But when we are childlike or growing in maturity, we will be unified and God-centered. It's not that deep, but it's deep to trust and obey. It's deep to do what God has called us to do. And he says in this passage, man, when y'all are childish, when you act childish, y'all are divided and man-centered. Y'all have envy in the church. Envy. That's what it says right there in verse 3. There are envy, strife, and divisions among you. What is envy? When you're jealous of somebody else when you're jealous of what they have, when you want what they have, when you're not content with what you have or who you are, you rubberneck and look over somebody else and you even covet what they have. You're envious. And God's children should not be envious in his family, in his house. This is not like Christmas morning where you're opening up your presents and you're still looking at what your siblings are opening up because you want to make sure that what you got is better than what they got. This ain't, this ain't that. These are supposed to be mature believers who are excited about the gifts that God has given them. Because later on in the book, they're going to fight over spiritual gifts. Later on in the book of Corinth, they're going to desire the showy gifts, the upfront gifts, the gifts that say, look at me, as opposed to gifts that serve and say, look at God. So this was a carnal, childish church. They had envy. 
and envy can destroy a church. Um, and Joseph's brothers were envious of him because the father, unfortunately, played favorites and gave him a coat of many colors. And Joseph had these dreams and all of that. And the Bible says his own brothers were envious of him to the point where they sold him into slavery. They talked about killing him. And so that's what envy will do, not only in a family, but also in the church. you got family members who are jealous of you. There are people that are just, they're mad with you, and you don't know why they're mad, but they're envious of how God has blessed you. But if they had any sense, they would recognize that just as God has blessed you, he is blessing them. And that's where contentment comes from. I don't need to compare with anybody because God treats me as if I'm his only child. He loves me as a plan for me. So I don't need to look at what he's doing in you and then uh, be discontent with what he's doing with me. Envy. Let's, let's, let's cast that down. But then he said there's strife in this church. And strife, another childish thing, when you don't handle stress properly, when you don't get your way, you whine and create stress. You create a, a, a stressful environment because you're acting childish. You're whining. You're complaining just like the children of Israel. And for this church, they had strife. But they also had divisions where they would go around saying, man, I'm rolling with Paul. Others would say, I'm down with that cat from Alexandria named Apollos. That's who I'm with. And then somebody else in the first chapter talked about, I'm with Cephas. They so deep, they don't even say Peter. We're with Cephas. So what they're doing is they're creating cliques in the local church. And Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. The enemy, his oldest trick is to divide and conquer. A divided church is a defeated church. It is an immature church. It is a childish church. It is a personality-driven church. You know, I, I'm with Deacon Jones. I, I like when Reverend so-and-so preaching the church. I don't really care for when Sister so-and-so saying, uh, we in this group right here, you, you in that group. And what ends up happening is there's an uh, 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 in and out group dynamic. It, it, it's a term, and let me see if I can grab this here, in group and out group dynamics. And that is there's this pressure to be in the in group and the people with the most influence in the church can say what the in-group is. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, uh, you'll be tempted to want to leave and get into the in-group, which is really nothing but a bunch of carnality and flesh. Because in the church, it should be one group, one family, one Lord, one baptism. It's not about Paul or Cephas or Apollos. It's about Jesus Christ. But then you got to watch that because there were some people in the earlier chapters who said, okay, we with Jesus, y'all. But you don't show like you with Jesus because you're acting in such a childish way. So when a church has divisions, watch out. The enemy is at work to take that church down. So Paul said, y'all are acting childish because you're divided and you're man-centered. But grow up and be childlike, be spiritual, be unified and God-centered. Uh, I'm going to hit this last one and go sit down. When you act childish, you will participate in sexual immorality. No, no, I better close. I better close. Come back next week and deal with that one. Go ahead and hit it. I'll hit it quickly. First Corinthians chapter 5. Remember, this church is childish. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1. He's writing from somewhere. I don't even know where he's writing from right now. I didn't even research that part because I had a busy weekend. weekend. Uh, it is actually reported, Paul said, that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife, exclamation point. There's a man sleeping with his stepmother. And then Paul says in verse 2, and you are puffed up. Well, y'all are proud about that. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So when you act childish, you will brag about sexual conquests and exploits. When you're a childish Christian, you will participate in sexual immorality. But when you are a mature or a maturing 
saint who has childlike faith, who seeks to be spiritual, you will recognize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You will recognize that there's a calling on your life to live holy, especially in the area of sexuality. But when you are a young Christian, a childish Christian, you say things like, well, I just couldn't help myself. You know, God made her and she looked good. I, hey, it's the natural thing to do. Well, you're acting naturally right now because God says that you should know how to possess your body and not let your body lead you. Uh, later on in the book of Corinthians, Paul said, man, y'all got this song in town because the word Corinthianize meant to fornicate. Y'all got this song that says, whenever I get hungry, I eat. And whenever I want to have some sex, I go do it. And so Paul's like, wait a minute, hold on now. All things are lawful, but not all things are permissible. I know what the world is saying. God's called you to live differently. You are not like the world as far as sexuality. Oh, man, oh, man. So let me say a few things about sexuality. Based on Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, God created sex to be experienced between humans within the confines of marriage. And marriage is defined as being between one man and one woman. Not popular today, right? Uh, people don't want to hear that today. Uh, but let God be true and every man a liar. And we don't say that braggadociously. We say it lovingly. And we say that there is an order to things and God created order male and female, and the Bible says in marriage they were naked and not ashamed. In marriage they were naked. So that means you should only be naked with someone of the opposite sex that you're married to and not somebody that you're playing house with. Um, okay, all right, okay, all right. Oh, we don't need to hear all that. I didn't come to church for that. Yes, you did. God said, I'm going to set you up in love because you're living in a way that's not pleasing to me. Based on Hebrews 13:4, sex outside of biblical marriage, no matter the context, is sin and is worthy of judgment. The Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Okay. So this is the only sin, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you sin against your soul with. So this is something we need to take seriously because when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the first thing they noticed was changed was their sexuality. They didn't even know they were separated from God. The first thing they did was grab fig leaves, got one right here, is because they were naked and they now were ashamed of what was once beautiful. They sinned. That's what sin does. And so... For the believer, we ain't talking about the world. For a Christian, one who identifies with Christ, the one who saved the woman who was about to be stoned because she was caught in adultery, he told her, go and sin no more. There should be a difference in how we live. And sex outside of biblical marriage, no matter the context, is sin. No matter how much you love him, no matter how much you love her, we're going to get married. We're engaged. It's sin. Okay? That's what the Bible says. And we're not going to change it. So this includes, but it's not limited to, limited to fornication, because the word sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea, and that covers a whole gamut, a wide gamut of sexual sins. So it's not limited to fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, pornography, rape, sodomy, and incest. The list goes on and on and on. That's how perversion works. That being said, as I'm close, it is possible for a person to become a Christian and still struggle with sexual immorality. And if we're honest, <laughs> well, let's be careful here. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm happily married, but I ain't blind. Mm -hmm. Being tempted is not sin. Acting on temptation is sin. Oh, man, what time is it? Because I don't want you to get this notion that when you become a Christian, zapped, you, man, all, you, you know, you, you never struggle. Man, this is when you start understanding what struggle is because you've got someone in you now pointing out the stuff. You've been changed. 
And you can't live like that anymore. But man, there's a struggle. Every day as a man, God created us to be attracted by our eyes with women. When Adam saw Eve, he went, oh, my good, 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 whoa, man, right there. And so men struggle. But that doesn't mean we act on it. But boys do. <laughs> boys see a pretty girl. I got to get that number. I got I to gotta have a sexual conquest with her. That's what boys do. But men know how to control themselves in their eyes that when they talk to a beautiful woman, their eyes are not roaming all over their bodies. Their eyes are looking them in the eyes. That's when you're growing up as a man, as a man. <laughs> so if you're a boy, that means you're trying to get every phone number and you're trying to hit everything you can hit. It's time to grow up. Oh, man. And then again, when you see old dudes going to the club, let me leave that alone. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Mm. Sanctification is a process for all of us. And some of us will find freedom in this life from various sexual vices. However, others of us may struggle to walk in victory with a particular sin until the day we die. So some of us have gone through some things where uh, we've been exposed as young children, where something was done to us, and it may have shifted uh, uh, our inner essence, if you will. We've been, we've been violated. And some of us have grown up with a proclivity or, or a, a desire or a curiosity towards same-sex relationships. Whatever the case may be, no matter how broken we are, or if we grew up in a house where our parents, we had a father who lived like a, a male whore. Whatever the case, we've been exposed to things. That's reality, but that's not justification to live like that when you know Jesus. Jesus is saying, I saved you, not only from hell, but I saved you from that, and I am saving you from that. Walk with me. That doesn't mean you're going to be delivered instantaneously. Some people have that testimony. Others say, man, I struggle, I struggle, I struggle. But you know what? Jesus is with you in the struggle. That's the good news. He'll never leave you. He won't forsake you. He won't condemn you once he has called you to be justified. So that grace is what frees us. So if you struggle... Man, the Lord is walking with you. In loving our neighbor's strong tower, no matter what their shortcomings and classifications might be, we have an awesome responsibility to model a Savior who did not condemn sinners and did not condone sin of sinners. Somehow, prostitutes felt safe with Jesus to the point where they sat down with him, listened to him, and many eventually repented. But when I was taught how to preach early on, I was taught, you condemn those sinners. You come out hard against homosexuality. Oh, okay, really? You scream a lot. Oh, beat the pulpit. Oh, Leviticus 18. Uh-huh. But the, the people who was doing a lot of the stuff in those churches were usually the dudes that was talking and screaming the loudest about what you shouldn't be doing. Just this past week, stuff came out about what priests have been doing to children for over 30 years. So there's junk in us. There's junk around us. But there's a Savior who is with us. My God, help us, God. May we have the kind of grace you had where sinners, they came to you. They spent time with you. And some of them left away being transformed by you. It was love that did it. That was accompanied with truth. That's what compels us, convinces us, and changes us no matter what the sin is. If we're always cheating on our wife or our husband or we have homosexual desires or whatever it is, it is love with the truth of God, also with accountability that helps us grow. Paul knew how tough this was because every time he talks about sin in the New Testament, the sexual ones are always one, two, and three. Again, the first thing noticeably affected, we struggle, we struggle. But we have a God whose grace is sufficient. We have a God who changes us. So I want you to hear that from me. Um, I know that in this culture today, um, homosexual people don't feel like they can come to church. We want homosexual people to come to this church, just like we want fornicators to come to this church and adulterers to come to this church. We want you to come to this church. And let's walk together. Let's grow together. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 31, that the tax collectors and the harlots were entering the kingdom ahead of the Pharisees. <laughs> wow. They heard something in him. Not in the Pharisees. 
but in him. I pray that you hear, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, I pray you hear his voice speaking to you. But please know this. Please know this, though. He's a good, good father. And he loves us enough to not only tell us the truth, but he loves us enough to spank us when we don't want to do the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First Corinthians chapter 5, when Paul talks about this guy who is sleeping with his mother-in-law, his stepmother rather, and the whole church knows about it, and that's kind of their calling card. We the church where the pastor impregnates women around here. We the, we the party church. We the disco church. We the club church. And everybody know that's the reputation. Paul said, y'all should have been ashamed of yourselves. And you should have disciplined that person. You should have put him out of the fellowship because they continue to do this thing and they have not repented. Paul said their, their lifestyle is spreading through the church like a disease. And it's breeding compromise. Because if the preacher's son can live like this, then my son can live like that. If that man can do that, then I can do that. No, no, God says, I love you so much, I got to discipline you. You sin publicly, I got to discipline you publicly. Paul said, when everybody's together in church, this is in chapter 5, Hand that person over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. They didn't want to do right. They didn't want to repent in private. Now we got to deal with it in public. Oh, man. And here's the thing. Over the book of Hebrews chapter 5, God disciplines his children. Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines his children. So if you continue to live a life that's contrary, especially, not exclusively, but especially in this area of sexuality, if you continue to live in sin, and you don't feel God's discipline, and you don't fear God's discipline, you just may not be a child of God because he's going to spike his kids. <laughs> so if you keep doing this stuff, man, and you don't feel God's uh, fire, you don't fear God's judgment, you may not know him. You may be a bastard. You run around saying one thing, but you live in another, and you claiming to be Christian. You're messing it up for the rest of us when we try to share Jesus. Because they'd be like, this dude over here is sticking and moving on every woman in this job, and he got the nerve to invite me to his church? I see why he want me to come to his church. There should be something different about us. You wouldn't want to come to a church where the pastor's hitting on all the women. Or any woman besides his wife. It creates a safe environment. Just like at home. Your kids need to know there's monogamy in this house. There's commitment in this house. There's not pornography on the computers in this house. There's holiness and virtue and godliness and purity in this house. It's tough enough out there. It's tough enough with those devices they have. No wonder we got to have Isaiah do that cultural trends class. But guess what? The grown-ups have just as much trouble as the young people do. The ones who should be on meat, the ones who should be further along with a teaching acquainted with living righteous, we can be just as childish as kids are in this area. If you send in pictures of yourself to other people as an adult, you are childish. So we have a choice today. We can go from milk to meat, from division to unity, and from sexual immorality to sexual purity. But what are you willing to put away as a child in order to become a man or a woman of God? What are you or who are you willing to put away? Some of y'all need to go home and tell him or her to get out. Or go down to the courthouse or come see me. Now, if you come back next week, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about some other things. Mm -mm -mm -mm. It's good. This is, this is how you grow. Every sermon can't make you shout and make you dance. Some sermons got to make you limp up out of here like, man, I got cut today. <laughs> Let's stand for prayer, y'all. Let's stand for prayer. If you want to become a part of a church like this, that's trying to raise up folk to be spiritually mature and childlike and not childish, come see me down front, fill out this green card, and let's talk about church membership.
But above all, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, you saw these children today. Like, man, look at their childlike faith. Here I am, 34 years old, and I'm afraid to become a Christian. Man, come talk to me. Let's pray today, and let's seal it with you and God. Oh, this is good stuff. All right, all right, all right. Let's pray. Daddy, 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 we love you. Mm, this is good stuff. Oh, Lord, and as I have preached these things, as always, I ask that you protect me. One of the ways the enemy loves to come after a leader, a speaker, is after we preach to others, we end up falling into sin. So, God, would you guard me? Would you allow me to walk in humility, but also boldness? Because the righteous are as bold as a lion. And, Lord, you and I have learned some things over the years. And I thank you for my wife and my accountability partners. Lord, we all got to have iron sharpening us as iron. Lord, the enemy would love to take any of us down by acting childish in a moment where we just risk and lose everything. Whether we lose our temper out of envy and jealousy, or we end up losing our testimony, Lord, over immorality. You have called us up. You have called us to be better and to do better because of our Savior. So, Lord, let us leave this place and read these scriptures. Let some of us use 1 Corinthians as our devotions this week, our Bible reading time. Holy Spirit, I know you've been doing some convicting today. Lord, you've been confirming your word left and right. I pray, Lord, that it would not fall on deaf ears, that no heart would go stony. But I pray, Lord, that hearts would be soft and fruit would be reproduced today. So, Lord, if there's somebody here that needs to get married, let them get married. If there's somebody here that needs to stop fornicating, let them stop fornicating. If there's somebody here, Lord God, who needs to check in with what the Bible says about sex, let them do that, oh God. If there's somebody here, Lord, who needs to confess envy and jealousy and they need to recognize they've been part of a clique, Lord, let them repent. Let us get some meat from the word this week and not just keep sipping on milk. And we've been quoting Philippians 4.13 for 10 years. Lord, it's time to grow. Grow us. Make disciples who make a difference. Now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that is at work within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can you give somebody a holy hug? Can you give somebody a holy hug, a holy kiss? Come on, give somebody a holy hug and a holy kiss.